So before I begin this evening, I thought I would uh, show you the books that I'm talking about. Uh, this book is the, the Gospel at Work that I mentioned this morning, and this is one of my favorite things about a good book. You can actually read it cover to cover. Uh, I, I know that there are some of you here that like love reading the, you know, books that are this thick, um, but I think sometimes a good practical Christian book can be very simple and straightforward and something that you can read uh, from cover to cover, and so I highly recommend that to you. And uh, this is the book that I'm going to mention this morning. It's called Get Your Hands Dirty, Essays on Christian Social Thought and Action. Um, and this is actually uh, written by a friend of mine from college. Um, and that's where I, we get our theme, but I'll address that a little bit this evening. But, but don't hold it against him that, that he happens to be a friend of mine um, or that he went to Michigan State University. Uh, we won't hold any of these things against him. Uh, we'll only use his book as hopefully uh, something to spur us on in our walk with Christ to challenge us uh, into a deeper, more significant way of life that will shine the light of the gospel uh, wherever God may take us. And so uh, while I was preparing for both of my messages today, the morning and the evening, I found myself with one really big problem. There was so much that I wanted to say regarding this subject that I was having a hard time. Well, I really found myself having two big problems. There's so much that I wanted to say, and, and there's so much in Scripture, I think, that actually deals with this topic, uh, either directly or indirectly, and, and so that, that, was a, that was definitely a problem. But really, I had three big problems. I, I had the problem that, that I wanted to say a whole lot, and I had the problem that I think God's Word says a whole lot, but then I had the problem of my ADHD, and I wanted to make sure that I, my mind was bouncing around from Scripture to Scripture, and I'm trying to connect all these dots, but I realize sometimes that when I talk to other people, they don't connect the dots the same way that I do. And so I hope that by the end of this evening's message, and I get one more shot at it in two weeks on Sunday morning, I, I hope that I will have been able to communicate to you my heart, which I believe is God's heart, for us, in that he wants us to be the light of the world. And if we're going to do that, then we have to get down to the nitty-gritty and get our hands dirty. And so in the midst of, of my hectic ping-pong ball thoughts, I, I hope that, that I can communicate that to you clearly, which really just sums up, this is a, another reason why I believe in expositional preaching. Expositional preaching, I mean, besides the fact that I think it's the best way to go through the Bible and, and, and to teach Scripture, it also keeps guys like me focused. So I can look at a passage of Scripture and say, this is what I need to focus on and what I need to communicate. So, so hopefully we'll be able to do that this evening. But I wanted to start with a question. How many of you, and, and we don't need to, if I was doing this with the teens, I'd actually ask for answers, but uh, we won't do audience participation. How many of you can tell me the context of the armor of God passage? What is being talked about right before Paul talks about the armor of God? 
Have you ever really thought about that? And, and while it's, yes, it's the closing to uh, the entire book of Ephesians, and so it, it's kind of the closing to that letter to the church in Ephesus, and so I think it's kind of a summation of, of all that, that Paul uh, was challenging them with, I, I find it not, um, I find it very informative that it follows a passage that talks about family, parenting, and work. Those are two areas in every one of our lives where we have the opportunity to make the biggest impact in this world. We have two opportunities right there to have a huge impact where God has placed us. And so I, I, think, it is no, uh, I, I think it is no mistake that God puts the challenge about the armor of God and that we need to be prepared for battle and all the spiritual warfare that goes with that following those passages uh, of Scripture. And so for our purposes tonight, and because it's the month-long focus on local evangelism, we're going to focus again on the biblical concept of work and getting our hands dirty. So open with me, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look uh, at verses 5 through 9 together, and we're going to once again use that passage of Scripture as a launching point to drive us deeper into the meaning of being the light of Christ and getting our hands dirty. And so it, be, it says, beginning in verse 5, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same then, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You and I in this church exist in relative ease. I had the opportunity to, to go to the Compassion International experience, which was at Trinity Church in uh, East Lansing yesterday, uh, with a couple teens and my family and, and some of uh, my kids' friends. And just, it's always a good thing to hear the stories of, of people around the world and, and how they grew up. And it helps us to not just see that a, an organization like Compassion International, through their adopting, uh, their adopting a, a child program, it helps us not only to see that, that they are making a difference, but it can truly be a reminder for us that we live in a life of ease. And I'm not saying that we don't ever have challenges or difficulties or that there isn't a lot of hard work that we have to do, but because of where we are at in this time in history, in our, in our culture, and in this nation, even our work is relatively easy compared to what it was years and years ago. In fact, I would contend that hard work has a bad rep. And in some circles, work has become a bad word. In our culture, we have the unfortunate perception that the harder, more physical labor is less desirable. And I would contend that some would even say less praiseworthy. We're fond of saying, it's like, well, you know, someone has to do the grunt work. Yeah, it's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. And what we're insinuating when we say things like that is, yeah, I really don't want to do that. That's not the kind of 
thing that I want to do. It's not a good thing, but I guess someone has to do it. And when something difficult or particularly dirty or challenging has to be done, who do we send? Well, we send the guy with the least amount of seniority, right? Low man on the totem pole, he's the one that has to go do that because nobody wants to do that. We have this mentality that, that hard work is, is, is a bad thing. And we have this mentality that it's not respectable. And, and I think that those kinds of attitudes have crept into our faith as well. I think they've crept into our Christian culture. And so that sometimes in churches, we, we don't want people who are on the ground doing the quote-unquote dirty work. We don't have people who are, who are willing to be behind the scenes serving all the time. And, and, and we don't have people who are, who are out in, in the front lines who are wanting to be the evangelists because, let's just face it, that's, that's sometimes hard work. And so that's why I chose this theme for our focus this month, to challenge us to be willing to do the dirty work, to do those things that are necessary for the gospel to be proclaimed both here in our community and ultimately around the world. But I need to be honest, obviously this is not my theme. Uh, I, I stole it from my friend Jordan Baller, and, and I just wanted to share one brief excerpt tonight from his book. Because it gives us a flavor of, of what that book is about. It's a compilation uh, of essays. And, and my friend Jordan um, works for the Acton Institute in Grand Rapids. They're a Christian think tank. Um, he basically sits around thinking about Christian things and, and writing essays and, and such to try to challenge uh, Christians uh, in, in the way that they function. And so his, his book called Get Your Hands Dirty is a compilation of essays that he has written. And I'd like to share an excerpt from that where it says, this book is a call to get your hands dirty in this world, a calling which we are liberated to take up through the cleansing work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Our Lord warns us that his disciple is not greater than the teacher. So as Jesus got his hands dirty accomplishing his mission, how much more should we his followers, expect to mix it up in the hurly-burly of modern life. Apparently, when you're really educated, you use words like hurly-burly. I wasn't sure what that one meant. He, he actually sometimes uses other words. I don't know what they mean, but that's, that's a whole different thing. He continues on. He says, the biblical image of dirt is often used to describe human sinfulness. And it is from this dirtiness that Jesus' satisfaction washes us so that we will be whiter than snow as it says in Psalm 51.7. But the more basic image of dirt in the Bible comes from the material makeup of the human person created in God's image. In the opening passages of Scripture, we see how God forms Adam, a name derived from the Hebrew word for earth, from the ground, from the dirt itself. Eve, too, is born out of the dust and dirt of the ground, as she is recognized by Adam as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The first job human beings are given in this world is what TV personality Mike Rowe would certainly call a dirty job, as God took, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God makes man out of dirt and then puts him in a place of responsibility over it and its fruitfulness. You see, from the very beginning, we were created to work. And, and we were created 
to not just to sit around and to worship God, but the work of our hands is done to exalt and to honor and to glorify the one who made us. And so some of you may be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with our passage in Ephesians? I think most of us here tonight would understand that, that the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians is not ultimately about slavery. Ultimately, it's about living out our faith in every aspect of our, of our lives, no matter what circumstance we may find ourselves. It, it's not just that Paul is writing to slaves. Paul is challenging people who, who have found themselves in slavery, and he says to them, no matter what the circumstance is in your life, you are first and foremost a child of God. And because you are a child of God, that affects everything that you do. And so even though you are a slave, you are not working as a slave. You are working for the Lord. And we'll see that as we pour through that in our scripture tonight. I mean, after all, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. So we must honor God with our body. And because of that, every Christian it doesn't matter what their standing is in life, must honor the Lord with all that they do. Everything in our lives, because we are a child of God, has new significance, including our jobs and our work. So when Paul tells the slaves, the slaves in Ephesians 6 that his challenges, and he, when he tells them and challenges them and commands them, those challenges are true for you and I as well. And we can, we can observe those challenges and apply them to our lives. And I think it demonstrates for us that, that work is actually a beautiful word in the eyes of God. Work isn't the dirty word that, that many in our culture have made it out to be. Work is a beautiful word in the eyes of God, especially when done for his glory. Look at verse 5 where it says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. God is always concerned with our hearts. And so that, this means that when we're doing our jobs, when we're working, no matter how seemingly insignificant it may, it may seem, no matter how lowly the job may be, you and I should be doing it with our whole heart. Have you ever thought about the fact that we are not free to give a half-hearted effort in anything that we do as believers in Jesus Christ. We are not free to kind of do half of the job. Eh, good enough for who it's for. Well, if we're doing that job for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, unless it's our best, it's not good enough for who it's ultimately for. You see, we, as Christians, must have a sincere heart about our work, even if we're ultimately slaves even if we have the lowest position in society. Your job may be difficult. The office that you work in may be difficult. Your boss may be difficult. But I don't believe there's anyone in here who could say, I have it worse than being a slave. I mean, we're fond of saying things like that all the time. Man, my boss is a slave driver. Paul says, yeah, slaves, you who have a boss that's literally a slave driver... Work with a sincere heart. Give everything when you're called upon to work. You can't simply mail it in. We have no excuses to do that because we are serving the King of Kings. You see, and being a Christian should mean 
that we have a radically Christ-centered work ethic. Ultimately, as Christians, we must have a sincere heart about our work because it reflects upon the God whom we serve. If we call ourselves Christians, if we take the name of Christ, if I say I'm a child of God, then I must work in such a way that, that everything that I do is pleasing to him. Verse 5 continues to challenge us in this. It says you need, that we need to work as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Ultimately, we are doing our job not to be people pleasers, but because of Christ. Now, those of you who know me well, some people say I'm a schmoozer. They, they say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of good at brown nosing. Sandy probably, you know, at the, at the office where I used to work with, people would say, oh, Chad gets along with everyone. He's a brown noser. You know, there's a difference between being somebody who wants to care and, and interact with people around your office in such a way that it makes them feel like you care for them because you do, and being a person who is trying to do things just to please people. And ultimately, as a Christian, we shouldn't be doing things just to please people. But if I'm doing my job in such a way that I'm bringing glory and honor to Christ, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But we need to understand that, that I'm not doing it to please people, but as a bondservant, as a slave of Christ. A Christian should not be doing his or her job ultimately to gain favor in the eyes of their boss. Should we do that which pleases our boss? Yes. He's an authority that God has placed in our life. She is my boss. That is who I should be doing a job to please. But ultimately, it's not for the boss. It's for the boss of the boss. Because God is in control of all things. So see, a radically Christ-centered work ethic also means that we don't need to be worried about pleasing man. We work as if we're pleasing God. We do that which is right in, in God's eyes no matter what. And ultimately that also means that a radically centered Christ, a radically Christ-centered work ethic also means that we don't have to work for monetary gain. In the book, The Gospel at Work, that I mentioned earlier this morning, the authors remind us that our reward for work is not the praise of man, it's also not financial gain. And they say this. They say, your happiness is secured elsewhere. Because our happiness and contentment is secured in our relationship with Christ, we don't have to worry about pleasing man and, and, and making money. You don't have to be discouraged that your job isn't providing it. Instead, you can approach your job, even if you don't like it, as an opportunity to love God more and bring him glory. Because you have a new master a new assignment, a new confidence, and new rewards. And it's all because of Jesus. So man's praise and monetary rewards should not be our focus. We work hard. We get our hands dirty to please God. That's our ultimate reward. And being a Christian also means recognizing that our work is God's will. I think that's important for us here tonight. We need to recognize that, that our work is God's will. 
So when we find a friend asking us, boy, I just wish I knew what God's work or what God's will was, was for my life. Well, if you have a job, start there. Do it well. Do it in such a way that you will be pleasing God by the way that you are working. Our passage continues on in verse 6, and it implores us that as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. It's a continuation of that thought that, that we're not working to please man. I'm not working to gain money. I am working to please the Lord. And I think that, that when we understand that fact, that God wants his children to be hard workers and that we should be rendering service, we should be doing work, we should be getting our hands dirty, doing work with goodwill as if we're doing it for the Lord himself. Our family is, is fond of, of using the verse Ecclesiastes 9.10. And, and it's a verse that runs counterculture or counter to everything within our culture regarding this attitude toward work. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with, do it with all your might. And that's kind of where we would sometimes stop it. But it says, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. We often stop after whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that's an appropriate place to stop it. I think that reminds us that uh, of what we're talking about. But the second half of that verse indicates that there's eternal value in our work. When going through Ecclesiastes, and, and the thought here is, well, you know, if this world is all that you're going to have, you might as well work hard and get all that you can because it doesn't really matter in, in the end. But if you really study that verse out, it indicates that Our philosophy, our thoughts about what heaven is, is sometimes so skewed. And it's affected by what the world would want and not by what God's word says. I mean, the world thinks heaven is, you know, all of eternity, sitting on a cloud, eating bonbons, you know, and we've got this life of ease. But this passage tells us that, that where will there be no work or thought or knowledge? There will be no work in hell. There'll be no work when we're separated from God, when people are separated from God forever. But it, it gives the indication that the converse is true. If God created us and placed us in the garden and made us work, and then and, and we can find joy in worshiping God through the, the work of our hands, and this verse indicates that, that in hell there's not going to be work. But in heaven, there will be. What's that going to look like? I, I'm not sure. I know that John Kresge told me he thinks everybody's going to be a farmer in heaven. He said, Chad, you're going to be able to grow crops when we get to heaven. I'm still not convinced that's true. I, I, I don't know exactly how all of that's going to play out, but work has value in the kingdom of God. Over and over and over in Scripture, we can see that truth played out. And so believers, as believers, work isn't some sort of punishment. Work isn't a bad thing. Work is something that we can do to worship our God. And it doesn't matter whether we get financial rewards or man's praise. We can still get the praise of our Heavenly Father. And so we also then must continue on. And we, we understand that being a Christian does not mean, however, that there is no reward. 
for your hard work. Just simply because this passage of Scripture tells us we don't work for the praise of man and I don't work for, for, for necessarily financial gain, we're not brown nosers trying to gain favor with our employees. That should not be our motivation. But the reason isn't because there is no reward for work. The reason is because the world cannot reward us as richly as our Heavenly Father. Our rewards are not dependent upon man or anything in this world. Our rewards are dependent on God. Verse 8 tells us that we work knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. That verse tells us that, that there is reward for work, but our work rewards aren't dependent on this earth. And so it doesn't matter whether we're a boss or an employee, a slave or a master, ultimately our rewards are based on God. This concept is hammered home to us in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, where it says, whatever you do, note that it really doesn't matter to God, whatever it is that you do. And I think we can literally say whatever in there. Work heartily as for the Lord and not men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Why can we know that? Because you are serving the Lord Christ. Because you're doing it for the right master. You're doing it for your heavenly king. And so work hard and trust God for the result, results and trust God for the rewards. We have a guarantee from the Lord and nothing we have done for him is in vain. Even if we may not see those rewards, even if we may not see those results here on earth. One of the last points I'd like to draw out from our passage in Ephesians 6 is that being a Christian should remind us that our earthly status is unimportant to the Lord. We get so caught up in making sure that we have the right initials after our name, that we have the right sign on our office door, that we have whatever may be a, a sign of respect and prestige and honor, whatever that may be in your world. But God expects us to serve him with all of our heart, no matter what place we have in society, no matter what place we have in our culture. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO of a billion-dollar company or the ditch digger for that same company. God expects us to serve him through our work. Look one more time at our passage, and beginning in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. God is not a respecter of persons. And after laying all of this on the line for slaves, he says, Masters, same thing goes for you. You are not exempt just because you run the business. You need to live up to these same standards here. And you, too, aren't doing what you do for monetary gain. You should be doing it for me. After all, God is the master, and the greatest of the, he is the master of the greatest and the least. He is in control of all things, and he has no partiality. So ultimately, it doesn't matter if you are a student or a teacher, a husband, a wife, or single. 
It doesn't matter whether you are unemployed or retired, whether you're an employee or an employer. God intends for us, God intends for me, God intends for you to use your life right now, wherever you are, to work for his honor and for his glory. In the chaos of, of trying to balance life and, and to, to think that, you know, things, when, when we make things clear up, if we want to see through the chaos of life, we need to understand that working for God is and must be our top priority. And so since today is, is about helping us to take deliberate steps toward understanding how we are light in this dark world, so, so that we can kind of take some practical looks at how these things play out in our life, I'd like to end with us thinking about some practical encouragements for all of us here tonight. And the first one that I want us to think about is to build a good reputation. Scripture would call this integrity. Our passage in Ephesians would say, slaves, work even if your master's not watching because you're working for the Lord. You're not trying to please man. You're not trying to be an eye pleaser. You're trying to please the Lord. In this fallen world, it's easy to see that hard work is not always valued by everyone. And it's easy to get distracted by so many things around us that may keep us from doing our work. And sometimes we have bosses that don't pay that close of attention because they're busy doing their own thing. And I would encourage you as a Christian in the workforce, don't take advantage of your employer's lack of oversight. Don't take advantage of the fact that they may not be paying attention, and though it may seem that no one is watching. A solid reputation for being an honest, hardworking employee will give you a platform to preach the gospel. If you are a man or a woman of integrity, and you have the opportunity to work hard, you should do that because it pleases God and it opens doors for you to have a conversation later about the gospel. Even if your work environment is not conducive to making the extra effort, even when you do make those extra efforts and they go seemingly unnoticed, sometimes they're not. And it may be months or years down the road and someone says, yeah, you know, that so-and-so, he was such a hard worker. Yeah, you know, that's what it means to be the light. And then you will then have an opportunity to preach the gospel like we talked about this morning. Your actions, your works, your good deeds open up that opportunity for you then to preach the gospel in that situation. And those extra moments of integrity can speak volumes, not only about you, but about your Savior as well. And so a second practical thing that I, I think we need to challenge ourselves with is, is that we need to be willing to literally get our hands dirty. It's a pet peeve of mine when people use literally the wrong way. It took like literally a million years. <laughs> but this is a real instance of it. We need to be willing to literally get our hands dirty. And that means that if there's something that needs done at your job, and nobody else wants to do it, you should step up and say, I'll do it. Instead, a lot of us say things like, that is just like way below my pay grade, right? 
You know, sometimes we say, that's above my pay grade. I don't want to make that decision. But sometimes we'll be like, that's way below my pay grade. I mean, that's what they pay the minimum wage workers to do. I don't want to do that. Don't be that person. Be a man or a woman who is willing to serve no matter what. Be willing to do the things around you that no one else wants to do. As I read from the introduction of the the book, Get Your Hands Dirty, he mentioned that Jesus got his hands dirty accomplishing his mission. How much more should we, his followers, expect to have to mix it up in the hurly-burly of modern life? I just wanted to say hurly-burly again. (laughs) If that's what Jesus did when he came, why should we expect any less? We should be willing to get down into the, the, the mix it up in, into life and to do those things which are necessary to do. And actually, that's my message in a couple weeks. I'm going to kind of zero in on that topic, that we serve a Savior who is willing to do the dirty work. And that's what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty to accomplish his mission. How much more should we be willing to do the same? Another practical thing that I think we should try to apply to our lives is we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. It may seem unfair to you that you've been passed over for promotion. You're a, work, you're a hard worker. It may seem unjust to you that you haven't been given a raise when others around you have, and they're not doing their job to the full extent that they can. It may seem like you are surrounded by dozens of needy people in your life, And you just don't know how to deal with all of them. All of these things may be true. But you need to realize that God may have placed you there for such a time as this. When we read through the stories in the Bible, when we hear about about people who have been sent to different areas of the world and missions, when we hear about people who have started uh, different ministry opportunities here in the United States, we get so excited about, man, they they were there at just the right time and in just the right way, and God used them to do miraculous, amazing things. Perhaps God has that in store for you in the day-to-day life of your nine-to-five job where he's placed you. Perhaps God has intended that for you in the school where he has placed you. Perhaps God has, has that in store for you right in your neighborhood. When we think of the story of Joseph, we realize he didn't complain when he was unjustly punished. Why is that? Because he realized what Paul was saying to us here tonight, that he wasn't working for men around him. He wasn't working for his jailer. He was doing his job because he was being a man who would honor God with his life. He was working to please God. We see countless examples throughout history of men and women who are willing to do that. Be one of those men and women. Be one of those men and women who are willing to do the difficult things and get your hands dirty. It may not make sense to us right now, but God may have placed you there for such a time as this. He knew the way that you would work. He knew the compassion you would have for others, the gifts, the talents, and abilities that he has built into you. He gave them to you. You may be the perfect fit to minister in that dark corner where he has placed you. A last practical 
thing that I hope that we can take away from tonight is that we need to realize that ultimately God is responsible for the results. One of the biggest challenges that I have every time when it comes to local evangelism month is there is no doubt in my mind that God wants you and I be more effective at sharing the gospel with people or people around us. But I do realize that we don't do it for results. We have to trust God for those results. We are called to obey. We're called to love people. We're called to work hard. We're called to be light in the darkness. But he is responsible for saving souls because that's a job that only he can do. And so you and I need to to firmly, steadfastly stand on the truth that we are doing this for God's sake. Not so that men and women can say, man, look at, look at that Chad. He is such a great evangelist. Man, people are coming to know Christ because of what Chad's doing. No, anything that we do, we do to serve the Lord. And we have to trust him for those results. Hopefully, hopefully, We'll walk away from today with some practical ways that you and I can be more effective at sharing the gospel. But ultimately, if you and I would just be willing to do the hard things, to do the difficult things, we would have the opportunity to be the light in the darkest corners where God has placed us. And ultimately, he will be satisfied when we are working for his glory And we can trust him for those results. Let's pray together. Father, as humans, we oftentimes find ourselves struggling to be accepted, struggling to be praised, struggling for all of the things that this world has to offer. Lord, I just pray. I pray that you would help us to live above those things. Help us to have an eternal mindset that that focuses on you. Help us to be so eternally focused that that we don't have concerns about what this world has to offer. Father, we know that you tell us, seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and you'll take care of all those things. All those things you will add unto us. But that's hard. And so, Father, I pray for us in our day-to-day lives. I pray that you would help us to see the eternal value and significance of being your child and living in a way that pleases you. And, Father, I pray that as we do that, as we are willing to do difficult things, as we are willing to do the things that that the world may say are lowly, as we're willing to serve others and get our hands dirty, Father, I pray that you would be glorified and that people would come to know you as we're shining the light and sharing the gospel everywhere that you might take us. Give us a boldness, give us a willingness to speak, and may our lives be such that people will want to listen. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.